Good morning. Good to see you this morning. My name is Josh, and uh, one of the pastors here. Glad to be with you. Um, hey, just a reminder from what Robin said, next Sunday, Father's Day, should be a lot of fun. So hopefully you can make it. Welcome to those of you online. Hopefully you can join us too. But uh, Jordan's a good friend of mine, and uh, we've become friends over the years. And it's just kind of cool. There's just a, a unique history between our two churches. And uh, now both of us are part of the free church. And uh, it's, gonna, it's just going to be a fun morning. Plus, free Kona ice. And one of the things we haven't mentioned yet, dads, you get a bigger cup. Or actually, just guys, you get a bigger cup next Sunday. So you're going to want to come for that. It's going to be a good morning. And uh, anyway, looking forward to that. But hey, as we get going this morning, have you ever heard of Speedy Morris? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Speedy Morris is a basketball coach. Actually, he just recently retired, but uh, his real name is William. They call him Speedy because he was so slow as a kid growing up. But he was a coach for LaSalle University in Philadelphia. This is a picture from uh, 1990, sitting next to Lionel Simmons, who ended up going into the NBA, played for the Kings, was, I think, a runner-up rookie of the year that year. And uh, anyway... Um, Speedy Morris was the first, another random fact, he's the first coach to coach Division I men's and women's teams at the same school. He did that in the 1980s. And he was at this small little school of LaSalle where he had really quite a bit of success. In fact, um, in the late 80s into the early 90s, he took his team, just a small little school, to, to the NCAA tournament a number of years. And his best season, they went 30-2. and two. And that was this season here, and they made it uh, to the second round of the NCAA tournament. Well, one morning, Lionel was at home, or Lionel, excuse me, Speedy was at home, and he was shaving in the bathroom. And while he's shaving, the phone rang. And his wife answered the phone, and then uh, she called out to him, uh, hey, Sports Illustrated is on the phone for you. And he's pretty excited, like, Fame is calling. Here we go. He, in, in his excitement, he actually cuts his face, and he kind of runs out and starts going down the stairs. He trips and falls down the stairs, and he, he makes it to the phone with kind of a limp, and he, he finally gets there, and he picks it up, and he goes, hey, uh, yeah, this is Speedy. What's, what's, what's going on? And the voice on the other end of the phone said this, for just 75 cents, you can, uh, an issue, you can get a free trial to Sports Illustrated. Do you remember those calls? You know, he thought fame was calling, and he kind of laughs when he tells that story, but I wonder, have you ever, you ever felt that way, like something was just calling in your life? Maybe it wasn't fame, but do you know the reality is for all of us, uh, we're going to see it this morning, wisdom is calling. Wisdom is calling, and, and the only question is, will you, will you answer? Will you answer the call? Um, fame isn't calling for you necessarily, but wisdom is. And if wisdom is, Jesus is. Uh, he's calling for you to run to him. Even with your cut up face, even with everything in haste that's going on, even if you fall down the stairs to get there, will you respond to the call? With that in mind, let me pray. And we're going to be in Proverbs chapter 8 this morning. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you for Jesus and thank you for your word and for your call on each of our lives, that you call us to, to come to you, to turn to you, to hear from you, to take your instruction, to repent and to grow. Holy Spirit, would you work uh, in me and uh, speak to and through me, even as I teach your word, that my words would be your own. 
and that all of us would leave uh, just with a sense of your call on our life and of longing, Jesus, to run to you. Thanks, Father. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Well, we're in Proverbs 8 today in our third week in our summer series in the book of Proverbs. And as I mentioned already, wisdom is calling. And today we're going to see how to get wisdom. How to get wisdom. Do you want wisdom? I do. Uh, Proverbs 8 gives us a, a hint here that wisdom's calling to us and that we can get wisdom. You know, in our, in our first week together, uh, we saw that uh, wisdom begins with a fear of the Lord, that the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. Last week, we saw in Proverbs 2 that, that we're to search for it diligently, to, to really get after it and search hard. And that as we do, God and his wisdom can be found. And today we, we see how to get it because it is, it's calling for you and it's calling for me. And uh, wisdom's call is, is prevalent here in Proverbs chapter eight. Now, uh, as we begin in Proverbs eight, uh, one thing to note is that uh, the, the sage, the wise person is writing and, and speaking to us here. And in doing so, they employ a, kind of a literary device to talk about wisdom. They, they call her in these first few chapters, if you've been reading Proverbs with us, you noticed Lady Wisdom. Have you seen that? Uh, well, wisdom, the word for wisdom in, in Hebrew by nature is feminine. And so naturally, then that metaphor is, is referring to wisdom as Lady Wisdom. And, and as he writes, he kind of takes on the persona of wisdom as an elegant lady. You might think of like uh, Galadriel in, in Lord of the Rings, the elf queen. Just a beautiful, lovely, dignified, wise, just enchanting to hear from and to, to learn from. The total opposite of another lady that shows up in Proverbs, Lady Folly, uh, the adulteress, the temptress. You read about her, especially in Proverbs chapter 7. But, but Lady Wisdom is calling to each of us. And by the way, because this is the Bible, Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 24 that all of this book, all of it, points where? To him. So as we're reading this, not only is wisdom calling, friends, Jesus is calling on your life. And he has a call out for you. So when we read Proverbs 8 today, I would like you to consider it as a description. It's a description of wisdom, of lady wisdom. But but ultimately, read it with me as a description of Jesus. Because Jesus is the wisdom of God. He's become wisdom and power for us. And so anything that's said to be true of wisdom, because uh, lady wisdom here is really an embodiment of, of the Lord's wisdom. Well, Jesus is the Lord, so this is really a description of him. <clears throat> so uh, let's look together. Proverbs chapter 8. Uh, we're going to start in verse 1, and it starts like this. Does not wisdom call? I told you wisdom's calling. Does not understanding raise her voice? On the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. Beside the gates, in front of the town, at the entrance of the portals, she cries aloud. Wisdom's calling, friend, and in fact, she's not calling, and Jesus is calling, and he's not calling, like, from a bunker, like, hiding, like, in a monastery, tucked away somewhere. Wisdom is calling out in the open, on the streets, from the heights. In fact, if you look at verse 2, on the heights beside the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand. 
at the busy intersections of life is wisdom calling to you. Which choice will you make? Will you you heed my call? Will you uh, heed the Lord and run to him? Wisdom's calling. And and as I've said before, Jesus is calling into your life. Uh, One of the things that's that's interesting here about wisdom and, and about Jesus, that the call is is open and it's public and it's, it's clear to be heard right in the busyness of life. It, it's totally opposite of, of, of folly, which calls to us in the dark, in private, in secret. You go back and read about Lady Folly and you, you realize she's in, enticing and trying to draw you into her home, and, but not wisdom. Wisdom is just out in the open and pure and honest and good. That's Lady Wisdom. And amidst all the noise of life, even at the crossroads, Jesus is calling, friends. The only, the only question is, are you listening? Are you listening for his voice? Well, let's see who Wisdom and who Jesus is calling to. Look at uh, verse 4. <clears throat> to you, O men, I call. And by the way, when uh, the writer here says to you, O men, just means humanity, not just males. To you, I call. And my cry is to the children of man. In other words, to everyone. How many of you, you're like, yeah, my, my mom, my dad, they were human. Yep, that's me. So I guess wisdom's call then is to me. I'm, I'm one of those children. He, he's calling to everyone. You know, uh, even fools like me who've made mistakes. How about you? Are you a fool like me at times in your life? How about uh, even if you're ignorant, you know, wisdom's calling for you, that Jesus is reaching out to you and to me. He, he's calling us to turn to him, to learn. Ultimately, to, to turn to him and learn means to turn, means to repent. In, in Acts chapter 17, we read this, that the times of ignorance got overlooked, but now he commands all people, there we go again, everywhere to repent. To repent just means to turn, to 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 respond to that call, to turn to Jesus, to turn from your way about going about life, to turn from your sin, and to turn to your only hope, which is Jesus and his wisdom, and ultimately his death, burial, resurrection for you. If you turn to him, by the way, then you're going to learn prudence. Because look at verse 5 here in Proverbs chapter 8. Oh, simple ones. First he says, turn, hear prudence. Or, Learn prudence, excuse me, oh fools, learn sense. Prudence, just just make good decisions. (laughs) Make right choices. Sense, get understanding, get insight. You know, if if you would turn to Jesus, he he gives you those things. But but look at what else, wisdom here. And I keep using wisdom and Jesus interchangeably, you'll notice that today. But, But look at what is offered to us through Jesus, through his wisdom. Verse six, here, For I will speak noble things, and from my lips come what is right. For my mouth will utter truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are righteous. There's there's nothing twisted or crooked in them. They're straight. They're all straight to him who understands and right to those who find knowledge. You know, we actually get in, in this, uh, these next handful of verses, starting in verse 6, we get two commands as it relates to this call of Jesus, this call of wisdom on our life. And the first one shows up right away there in verse 6. Do you see it? It's here. 
hear. Open your ears, listen, but not just like hear it like, like a noise that you hear, but like hear it like be totally open to what's there, complete openness and receive it. Well, why? Because the words of his mouth, the words of Lady Wisdom's mouth are, are completely true. They're morally excellent. There, there's, you notice uh, said that there was nothing hidden, nothing tricky, ne- nothing manipulative about wisdom's words. In the same way, in, in God's word, there's, there's nothing manipulative or, or tricky. Or God never said anything in his word that he's ashamed of or that he has to wishes he could gain back and shove back in his mouth like you and I do. You know, sometimes, though, we fail to hear and we fail uh, to really receive the word with openness is because at times there's this, this kind of rub in the sense that this book, God's word, Jesus himself tells me some hard things that depending on the day, I don't know that I want to hear. How about you? I mean, uh, he doesn't flatter us. He can be pretty blunt. And so we just have to decide, am am I going to listen enough so that I can change? Because that's the the call for me. Am I going to listen enough that it it really changes me? Uh, Jesus' little brother James says to receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. See, if you will receive it, if you'll receive it in humility and meekness, then it'll change you. There's power in this book because it's the very words of God, your creator. Uh, You know, but here's the deal. If you're not willing to receive it, if instead uh, life just is all about you, all about what I want, all about my agenda, then when you hear hard words like that from God's word, you know what happens is instead of receiving it, we, we feel misunderstood or underappreciated or, or we tend to resent it or we blame the gospel or we just at least blame the preacher who preached the gospel to us. And I might even lash back at times. Do you ever do that? But the call of wisdom is to hear, to really hear it, which means to receive it. So that's the first command here. You're going to hear this book this summer. Hear from wisdom. Hear from Jesus. The second command of this call to us is, it shows up in verse 10. Take my instruction. Take it. Take it. Grasp hold of it. So they're kind of the same. Hear it and then take hold of it. Really, truly receive it. This is a choice, ultimately, of what are you going to take hold of? What are you going to grab hold of and hold on to? Uh, see, uh, wisdom tells us, take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. So I should take it and hold on to it tightly. Uh, really what this is a choice then, in this case, uh, the writer of Proverbs is telling us that it's, it's a choice between grabbing hold of wisdom, God's wisdom, or, or grabbing hold of my wealth and, and my agenda and what I want. And, you know, we could insert any idol in for wealth, and it would still be the same application to our lives, wouldn't it? So if it's not, uh, I have a choice to take hold of wisdom or to take hold of my career, 
to take hold of wisdom or to take hold and live totally for my kids, to take hold of wisdom or to take hold of my longings, to take hold of wisdom or to take hold of my stuff. And notice all of these things, even in wealth included here, precious jewels, they're, they're not bad things. They're bad things, though, when they become ultimate things. And, and, and he's telling us, take hold of wisdom. And the reason being is that Whatever I end up taking hold of ultimately ends up taking hold of me. If I take hold of wisdom and take hold of Jesus, he takes hold of me and gives me life, real life. But if I take hold of my stuff and my idols, then I end up becoming a slave to those things. And I don't know about you, but I would rather be a slave to Jesus, whose uh, yoke is easy and his burden is light, than a slave to my stuff and my idols. You might be thinking, I don't have any idols. I don't serve any idols. What are you talking about, Josh? That's, that's like Old Testament stuff. That's not today. No, it is. I've given you this grid before, but let me just throw it up again. If you want to identify some of the idols in your life, just use that word as an acronym. Uh, for instance, the I, items. My stuff can become an idol, and I can live for that and try to take hold of that with, with everything within me. Name it, it'll fill in the blank. It might be a vehicle, it might be your home, it might, what could it be? Another, another place where we tend to have idols is in terms of our duties, our, our careers, our what, what we do, our activity. You know, for me as a pastor, I could, I could claim that as an idol if I'm not careful that, oh, I must, I must be really important because God let me be a pastor. No, <laughs> I'm important because God made in God's image and he loves me, but not because of what I do. Because of Jesus. Maybe others become an idol. If I just had that relationship, if I just had that person, if they just liked me. Or you could take hold of your longings. You know, longings to, to be married. Longings to be out of debt. Longings to fill in the blank. All of those things in and of themselves are not bad things. They're, they're good things given to us by God. But when I hold on to that, first and foremost, and I fail to hold on to Jesus and fail to hold on to wisdom, then these things take me and I become a slave to them. You know, one of them can even be uh, my sufferings. I can find my identity fully in everything that's happened to me, everything that's gone wrong, everything that's been done to me. And if I'm not careful, I find all my identity right there rather than in Jesus who really gives me life. So I wonder, maybe you'd use that grid just to identify where are some of your idols, because we all have them. In fact, our, our hearts, one theologian has said, our hearts are idol factories. We're constantly looking for something to pour out worship to. So pour it out to Jesus. You know, Jesus even spoke to this. He said, you know, whatever, whatever you worship, that's going to take you. He said it like this in uh, the Sermon on the Mount. He said, no one can serve two masters. You can't. You're either going to hate the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You, you can't serve both God and money. You can't serve both God and your idol. It's one or the other. So it's a choice here that we have in front of us. Are you, are you going to take this instruction and cling to it and cling to Jesus? Or are you going to hold on to your idols? And by the way, that's a daily, if not hourly, if not minute, every by minute choice, isn't it? to cling, to take, I would commend Jesus to you, to get wisdom. And if you want to get wisdom, get Jesus. You know, to get wisdom ultimately then is to get 
Jesus. In fact, you know, if you get Jesus, then all those other good things, guess what? You get them too. You get them too. In fact, Jesus, in the same discourse where he said, you can't serve two masters, a couple verses later in his Sermon on the Mount, he says this, but instead seek first the kingdom of God and its righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. If I'm going to seek first the kingdom, then I'm going to seek first the king. If, if you want to get wisdom, friend, get Jesus. So as we keep going here, I mentioned already in Luke 24, Jesus says that all of the Old Testament, all the Bible, it points to him. And uh, Proverbs chapter 8 is no exception. It totally points to him. In fact, as we read it, it's going to be striking here in a moment if you know the New Testament, if you don't, we're going to look at it and we'll come back to this. But it'll be striking how this really truly describes Jesus Christ. So with that in mind, let's just read through uh, the next about 20 verses here in Proverbs chapter 8. And as we do, consider this as a description of Jesus. Okay? Verse 12, I wisdom dwell with prudence. And I find knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech I hate. I have counsel and sound wisdom. I have insight. I have strength. By, by me, kings reign and rulers decree what is just. By me, princes rule and nobles all who govern justly. You know, uh, in, in Daniel, in uh, uh, Romans chapter 13, uh, all over in the Bible, it's clear that God is the one who sets up authority, who, who, who raises up rulers, who brings them down, who, who any authority ultimately is given by God. And, and as the writer here writes about wisdom and personifying wisdom, you'll notice that some of these attributes really are attributes of, of God, aren't they? Like the one who... Um, by me, kings reign, and rulers decree what is just. Well, Jesus himself is God, eternally existing. And uh, this is a description then, ultimately, I believe, of Jesus, of his wisdom. Look at verse 17. I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth, and righteousness, see, not just riches, not just uh, the wealth like in your bank account, but enduring wealth. Like in other words, like it's going to last. It's, it's not going to burn up in the end. You get it forever. Enduring wealth and righteousness. My, my fruit is better than gold, even fine gold. And my yield than choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness and paths of justice granting an inheritance to those who love me. You know, in Ephesians, Paul tells us that if, if you become a Christian, if you trust Jesus, you are literally adopted into God's family. You move from being his creation to being his child. And now as part of the family, there's an inheritance for you. There's riches waiting for you. You have every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. There's an inheritance waiting for you. Now, some of that you'll experience right away. Some of it you'll experience for all eternity. But it's there for you if you trusted Jesus. 
And again, is this a description of Jesus? I think so. Granting an inheritance to those who love me. Filling their treasuries. Again, you, you get Jesus, you get, get him, all these things are added to you. The Lord possessed me, it says, at the beginning of his work. We're going to come back to that verse. The first of his acts of old. Uh, ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth, where there were no depths, I was brought forth. Now, a couple things in these verses. When, when I was brought forth, uh, that language shows up uh, in, in many places in the Old Testament as it relates to the birth of a child, that they were, they were brought forth. The idea here in, in describing the Lord's wisdom, and ultimately, if I'm right here, of a description of then Jesus, which the writer probably didn't understand at the time, but Jesus wasn't created. He's eternally existing, part of the Godhead. To say that he was created you know, at his conception and birth would be to say the same heresy as uh, groups like the Jehovah's Witness or others who say he was a good man, but he was the first of God's creation. That's not true. Uh, he was to be brought forth. There, if you're brought forth from the womb, guess, guess what? There was life before you were brought forth. There was life there, that sort of language describing Jesus. There was, he had life before he was ever manifested to us. He's always existed. He's eternal. The Lord possessed me at the beginning, it said there in verse 22. At the beginning of his work. At the first of his acts of old. At that time, Jesus was there. Wisdom was there. Ages ago, I was set up at the first, before the beginning of the earth. Let's keep reading again here now. Verse 24, where there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no depths. When, when there were no springs abounding with water. Before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. Before he had made the earth with its fields, or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the fountains of the deep, when he assigned the sea to the sea its limit so that the, the waters might not transgress its command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth, then I was beside him, like a master workman, or your translation might say like a master architect. Wisdom was there. We're going to see here in a moment in the New Testament, Jesus was there. Now, curious, another book of, of wisdom in the Old Testament, the book of Job, uh, Job has all kinds of things happen to him, right? He's a, his life is kind of a country song. He just loses everything. And uh, Job starts complaining to God, and God says, hey, Job, were, were you there? When I measured out everything, when, when I set the foundations of the earth, tell me, were, were you there? How about when I decided how deep the ocean would be or, or how, how vast and expansive the heavens would be? Tell me, I, I don't remember, were you, were you there at that point? <laughs> and, and God just kind of lays into him. And then at the end of that, Job is like, uh, no, you're right, I, I speak of things that are too wonderful for me. I trust you. Well, wisdom, unlike Job, unlike you and I, and Jesus, he was there. He was there at the beginning when these things happened. It says in verse 30, I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. Now, uh, 
As we read the New Testament now, we're going to skip ahead here a little bit. One of the things that, that will strike you immediately, or, or probably has, is that as you read about Jesus, he, he's described always as wise. He is incredibly wise. In fact, even from the time that he was young, you know, he's a boy and he ends up uh, in the temple and he's, he's teaching and speaking about things with incredible wisdom as a 11, 12-year-old boy. And uh, we read in Luke uh, that he grew in wisdom and in knowledge and in stature and favor with both God and man. The, the grace of God, we read, was on him in Luke chapter 2. Well, the story of, of, of all of this then is just repeatedly in Jesus' life is that he was incredibly wise. Incredibly, incredibly wise. I mean, he was wise as a teacher. When, when he begins his earthly ministry at about age 30, According to Mark 1.22, we read that the people were amazed at his teaching. Why were they amazed at his teaching? Well, because he spoke as somebody with authority, not like the other teachers. I'm telling you, like, if, if Jesus was up here speaking this morning and instead of Josh, like, you'd just be like, whoa. He speaks with, wow, so much more authority. Be, because he has all authority. He speaks with incredible wisdom, not like the teachers of the law. So Jesus' teaching, and of course the gospel, tells us a lot about his teaching. It, it amazed all of those who heard him. Uh, it's also significant to know that the way Jesus taught was he taught like a wise sage would teach. Tell me, do you, do you know, those of you maybe who know the New Testament a little bit, what was kind of a primary way Jesus liked to teach? How did he teach? Yeah, he used to teach in parables. He'd tell stories and he'd speak in parables. Well, th this was a, a way that, that wise people would teach and it didn't begin with Jesus. This was common uh, throughout the ancient Near East. And, and Jesus taught in parables. In fact, the, the Greek word for parable is the same as the Hebrew word for proverb. So Jesus taught in proverbs with wisdom. And now we see that these, this wisdom is actually a description of not just wisdom, but a person. But Jesus himself. Uh, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, we read about Jesus as the wisdom of God. Or chapter 12, excuse me, chapter 1, but uh, verses 12 and then 18 and following. And in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, so starting in verse 18, we read that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved... It's the power of God. And, and you go on, you get to verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what's foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what's weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what's low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it's written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Jesus is wisdom for us from God. He's wisdom, do you see? He's described as wise all throughout the New Testament. Again, <clears throat> Colossians chapter 2 uh, describes his wisdom. Paul does 
when he describes Jesus in this way, he says, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want to get wisdom? Get Jesus. Because in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He's the very embodiment of God's wisdom. That's Jesus. The very embodiment of his wisdom. That, That language even sounds a little bit like Lady wisdom back in Proverbs 8, because it's the same. Uh, Lady wisdom is is an embodiment of of Yahweh's wisdom, of the Lord's good wisdom. And and Paul tells us, the New Testament tells us, that ultimately that's found in Jesus Christ. And so uh, Jesus is called wise in the New Testament, but there's a series of passages actually in the New Testament that even associate him with Lady wisdom in chapter 8 of Proverbs. Let's begin in Matthew chapter 11. Uh, In Matthew 11, uh, Jesus is in the midst of a debate. Uh, Not when he really sought out himself, but the Jewish leaders, there was some controversy. and Jesus is being accused here of having uh, just kind of too celebratory of a lifestyle. He's hanging out with all the sinners. He's going to all the parties. He's drinking wine with them. Now, Now, Jesus never sinned. He never Uh, got drunk. He never uh, overindulged in any of those things. But he he was the life of a party, and he kept getting invited to parties, which tells me Jesus wasn't like doom and gloom, like, "Ah, I don't know if I want to hang out with him. No, Jesus was somebody you wanted to be around. He does his first miracle at a wedding, and he hadn't done any miracles yet, yet he's invited to that wedding in in John chapter 2, right? Why? Because, hey, I want Jesus to come. And who's Jesus show up with? His 12 buddies. That's okay. It's Jesus. We trust him. We're glad he's here. He can bring some uninvited guests. People loved to be around Jesus. Well, the Pharisees were actually the ones who were kind of doom and gloom, the religious people. And uh, they accuse him. First, they pick on John, the Baptist. They say, John came neither eating or drinking. And they say, well, he has a demon. Jesus is replying to them here. And the son of man came, referring to himself, came eating and drinking. And they say, well, look at him. He's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. And then Jesus says something here that's pretty profound and relates back to Proverbs chapter 8. He says, yet wisdom is justified by her deeds. Your translation might uh, have maybe tamed that down a little bit to say by its deeds. But if you would have been one of the Pharisees hearing this, when you heard Jesus say, wisdom is justified by her deeds, speaking of his own works and how he lives his life, really what he's doing here, uh, he's comparing himself to Lady Wisdom, her deeds. He's saying uh, the deeds of wisdom, that's, that's me. That's my life. It's justified by her deeds. Friend, that's me, is what Jesus is saying. He was clearly associating himself here with woman wisdom from Proverbs. And, you know, as we read through, again, we see just over and over uh, Jesus' wisdom and and comparisons here to Jesus drawn out of Proverbs chapter 8. You know, you might say, well, okay, but Josh, this this is wisdom. This is what Solomon wrote, right? That's wise. But, you know, Jesus actually says, I'm wiser than Solomon, you guys rave, rant and rave about Solomon, but somebody wiser than him is here, is what he said in, in Luke chapter 11. And again, over and over, people are amazed at his teaching and his wisdom. 
Uh, Just a couple other passages to look at here. Um, Look at the opening of the Gospel of John in John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, we read this about Jesus. By the way, John is one of Jesus' best friends on this earth. And and John now is writing about him. And, And here's how he begins his gospel. He says, in the beginning, that sounds like Genesis, doesn't it? In the beginning, how does Genesis begin? In the beginning, what? Who, I should say? God. In the beginning, God. John says, in the beginning was the word. That word, the logos, the knowledge, the wisdom of God. In the beginning, and the word was with God, and the word, he's speaking of Jesus here, was God. He's saying that Jesus is God. He's the wisdom of God, and he is God. He was in the beginning with God. In fact, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, if you look back at at Proverbs chapter 8, we see over and over, starting in verse 22, the Lord possessed me at the beginning of his work. In the beginning was the word, was Jesus. He he was with God, and he was God. Uh, Ages ago, I was set up, given authority, in other words, at the first, before the beginning of the earth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth, when there was no springs abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills, I was brought forth. And it goes on and on and on. I was, I was there in the beginning. You get to verse uh, 30. I, I was beside him like a master workman, like a master architect. Not anything was made that was made that wasn't made through Jesus. He was the master workman. And it says, I was daily his delight. He was with God. You know, God exists in, in a trinity, a holy trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and they're eternally in loving relationship. One God, three persons. How does that work? I don't know, but the Bible teaches it and I believe it. And it's, it's, he was there in loving unity, Father, Son, and Spirit. He delighted in me. He delighted. I was his daily delight. Rejoicing before him always. And not only that, but rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of man. You know, that old song you learned as a kid in Sunday school is true. Jesus loves you. He loves you. He delights in you. In fact, uh, even though at times when you read this word, you realize you're more sinful than you ever feared, the, the reality is, to quote Tim Keller, that you are more loved than you ever dreamt. He delights in you. In fact, in John 17, 23, Jesus says that even as you have delighted in me, even as you have loved me, you love them. And I think he actually says, I love them even as you, Father, have loved me. In the same way God loves Jesus, he loves you. And he's calling to you. Now there's, there's more language in the New Testament that, that speaks to Jesus as creator and as, as God, uh, as wisdom. Uh, turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. By the way, if you find uh, Galatians or Ephesians, it goes Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. They're kind of some short books. When I was in high school, I learned that as go eat popcorn. 
Maybe that'll help you remember the order. Go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. But this is one of my favorite passages in, in all of Scripture. Uh, we read it this morning already, but look at verse 15. He, speaking of Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. Hebrews tells us something similar. If you want to know what God looks like, if you want to know what his wisdom looks like, look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. Now, again, that's not saying he was created. This is a statement of his authority, that he is first in all things. And Paul makes that clear as we continue. For by him, sounds very similar here to, to John 1, for by him, by Jesus, all things were created. Remember what we read in Proverbs 8? He is the master workman, the master architect at his side, at God's side. By him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Do you remember reading that too? How, how, how wisdom, uh, kings rule by her, by God's wisdom. And he is before all things. He's before all things. We read about wisdom being before all things at the very beginning. Friends, Jesus is before all things. And not only is he before all things, but in him, all things hold together. Physically, spiritually, including your very life. You know, do you want wisdom to hold your life together? Guess who you need? You need Jesus. Because in him, all things hold together. In him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He's your only hope. If you want to get wisdom, you, you need to get Jesus. Uh, we, we can look at so many other passages in the New Testament that speak of Jesus' wisdom and that even reflect back to Proverbs chapter 8. Uh, Revelation 3.14 is another one that speaks of Jesus as being there at the beginning of creation. But, but here's... Here's the end game this morning, friends, and, and really of Proverbs chapter 8, that if you're going to get wisdom, we know now looking back through the lens of the cross that to get that wisdom, it means we need to get Jesus. And if you get wisdom, if you get Jesus, you get life. You get life. Not like just breathing, but like, like real, abundant, true, eternal, everlasting, totally fulfilling life. And eternal life doesn't begin after you die. Eternal life begins the moment you trust Jesus. Jesus says, this is eternal life that they would know me. <laughs> That's what he says. That's eternal life, to know him. And, and your, your life begins now if you would trust him. True, abiding, abundant life. You know, we read already from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 that, that often the wisdom of God is seen by those in the world as, as foolishness. You're telling me, Josh, that if, if uh, I put my faith in Jesus, I surrender myself to him, I give myself to him, that he's going to give me life? That just seems so backwards to me. That I've got to give it up to get everything? Like That's foolishness. That makes no sense. That just sounds kind of like spiritual suicide to me. But the reality is, for those who've trusted him, they've found it and know it. 
to be the wisdom of God. John tells us in John chapter three, those who put their, who believe upon his name, put their seal to this, that he is true. John three thirty four, that it is true. In fact, back earlier here in Proverbs chapter eight, verse nine, talking about wisdom's ways. At verse nine says, they're straight to him who understands. They're right to, to those who find knowledge. They're right to those who come to Jesus. It seems like foolishness to so many. But, but once you know him, once he's uh, changed your life and, and you realize the truth, you realize this is life. This is life. Jesus said, whoever finds his life will lose it, meaning like searching for it on your own. But whoever loses his life for my sake, Jesus says, they'll find it. They'll find life. Again, Jesus had said, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me won't walk in darkness, but will, will have the light of life. Jesus said, the thief comes to, to steal and destroy, to kill, but I came that you might have, what's the word? Life, and have it abundantly. Now look at the end of Proverbs 8, starting in verse 32. Now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Jesus said, if you love me, you obey my commands. And you know, his first command is to come to him. Command all people everywhere. Hear instruction then and be wise. Don't neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, watching, waiting, excuse me, beside my doors. Here it is. For whoever finds me, finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. You know, uh, Religion would tell you that you can only find favor from God by doing enough good things to earn his favor, to earn his good grace toward you. But, but really, grace is undeserved favor. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. And the only way to get God's favor is not to do enough good things to try to earn it, but it's, look at this, to find Jesus. Because if I find him, I find life. And then I receive, I receive God's favor. Not because of anything good about me, but because of everything good about Jesus. Friends, if, if you want to get wisdom, you need to get Jesus. And then you'll, you'll get life. But look, he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. So... This morning, uh, you're left with a choice. Wisdom's calling to you. Jesus is calling. Will, will you answer the call? He's calling, saying, here, receive my word. Take my instruction. Turn to me. Not only get wisdom, but get Jesus. Because when you do, you'll get life. If you've never trusted him, it's so simple. All you need to do is just turn to him in faith. It, it's so simple, it sounds like foolishness. <laughs> but you'll find it to be true. If you have trusted him, and maybe you've strayed and you, you've turned from him, I mean, he's waiting for you to come back and you can run back to him and, and he's waiting with open arms and would take you like that over 